Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. Have a seat. Have a seat. Come on, y'all give the Lord a hand clap. Yeah, let's, let's do this. Listen, that was kind of weak. I'm, I'm going to tell you, it was like a, I got two. I felt like it was a golf clap. I'm not going to be like, I'm a, like we were on the golf course and it was like, because he said it. All right. Now, now, I appreciate that. I appreciate that you did that because I asked. But now let's give God something worthy of praise. Come on. Come on, Lord. God, we thank you. We honor you. And you are good. Do you ever feel like you're witnessing something amazing? Anybody have like those amazing moments, those amazing places? That, anybody like food? Like you, you, when you are going out, you're going to go to this spot. You know, you're going to go get some food at this place. It's not like a level one, two, or three. You go into level 10. I remember the first time I went to Montenegro Chicken. Come on, somebody. <laughs> amazing. Ama- they just kept bringing you chicken. They just kept bringing it to you in bowls. And I'm like, this is cool. This is good. Amazing. I don't know about you, but uh, we, we, we collect memories of amazing moments that happen from our past. Maybe you were the first one in your family to graduate high school or go to college. The amazing moments. Maybe your amazing moment was uh, a marriage or, or a birthday or you know, celebrating uh, the birth of a child, just amazing moments. I think amazing moments are also things that we uh, look forward to, like anticipations. You know, obviously things from our past, but anticipations. Maybe uh, your amazing moment day is when you finally pay off that school loan. Come on, somebody. You're like, and there was much rejoicing. You know, just getting all that paid off. Maybe your amazing day could be one day owning a home like that. Maybe you grew up and you know what, uh, that was not something that you ever saw. And so your big dream has been, you know what, we're going we're gonna to own a home. I think all of those dreams that we discussed are like truly awesome and, and they are amazing. But nothing is as amazing as Jesus' return. Like, it's going to be really awesome. It's going to be really good. And, 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 and here's what I'm... I'm saying is over the next four weeks, we are starting a new sermon series on 1 Thessalonians. We're going to spend four Sundays going through five chapters. So uh, it's going to be a lot. (laughs) And so just get ready for those of you who take notes. You know what I'm saying? You may have to switch hands because uh, I just really feel like there's a lot that Paul wants to share with us. Even in this letter, and he He frames up this letter as the amazing day that is approaching. And I just really feel like with all the concepts that Paul could have addressed, for this to be like one of the major ones begins to frame up some theology for us that I think is important for all believers. That we are waiting in great anticipation for that amazing day. Five different times at the end of every chapter, Paul begins to tell us, he inserts this, he's coming, 
he's coming. In fact, we're going to put all five of these verses up here for you to see. I'm not going to read all five because we're going to go through them as we talk about them. But you guys can go ahead and put those up. It, in chapter 1, verse 10, to await for his son, uh, to await for his son from heaven. In other words, we're waiting for Jesus. Okay? In chapter 2, verse 19, before the Lord Jesus at his coming. We're talking about his second coming. Chapter 3, verse 13, and at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 17, and we will be caught up together with them in the clouds, look at this, to meet the Lord in the air. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, come on, that one time you really can jump. Listen, hey, hey. Chapter 5, verse 23, at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Jesus, Here, here's the idea that we're going to unpack as we talk about that amazing day that's approaching. Paul makes it clear that the church cannot lose the sight of Jesus' return. Nobody knows it, and this sermon series isn't Jesus is coming back, eight reasons why Jesus is coming back in 88. Um, but, but the reality is it is, there is an importance that I think that the church has missed because we've gone through seasons of bettering ourselves, self-help, trying to do these things to try to make us uh, grow spiritually, which is awesome. But Paul quickly inserts the coming of Jesus. Why? Do you know in every sports there's a time clock? There's not one sport that you play, even chess. <laughs> you know, like there's nothing that you, you do that doesn't have a time on it. Why? Because there is an urgency for the players that, you know what, at the end of this 60 minutes, we're going to have to score or we're going to lose. <laughs> but this game has a tick down and there is going to be a time when it's all over. And if we live as if there is no clock, then we will live as believers like there's no urgency. And so every day it will be a la carte. We will come to church and we'll pick what we want. And we'll come and we'll live our faith. And we got all the time in the world. It doesn't matter. We don't know. Listen, they've been talking about Jesus coming for years. We have no idea. There's still three or four prophetic signs that still have to happen. It, we Nobody knows. And so we just kind of fall asleep. But if there was a time on it, come on, you, hey, Marriages would be a whole lot better if there was a time clock. Parenting, we all know there's a time clock. It's like, you know what I mean? Like, we got till 18, and so we, we, we have a 15-year-old, and so Katie and you are like, okay, we got Trevor for like three more years. I mean, like, but we got him for three more years. So, like, people are growing up, and it's like, well, what do we want to do that's significant? What do we want to do? There's a time clock. And for our faith, there's a clock. And we need to be expecting 
that Jesus, come on, is going to return. I don't know if anybody saw the Hogs game. Come on, listen. One minute left. We scored, come on, like eight unanswered points. Literally like two minutes into the game. I was like, are we really going to lose to a and You know, I was like praying. I was like, God, you see our struggle. He was saying like, come on, this would be an awesome gift, you know. And then they turned it around, and the anticipation was so high because the game was going to be over. Can I ask you, what would your faith look like if you knew we were ticking? Would you be laissez-faire? Or would you be going to coffee meetings and being like, okay, homeboy, sister, like, listen, like, I need to talk to you about something that's changed my life. And now I have a little bit of urgency in me. Because you know what? I don't know how much time I've got left. Come on, does this make sense? For us, that day is going to be visible, practical, personal, glorious, final. And I'm just kind of, like it's kind of a big deal. Okay? It's, It's kind of a big deal. And Paul wanted the church to know it's important. Like you think of all the things that Paul could have talked about. Like, where is the letter on working for your boss? That's hard. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's, let's, let's do seven chapters on uh, working for a boss. Let's do seven chapters on being an entrepreneur. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do eight chapters on marriage. Let's do, let's do nine chapters on parenting. Come on, have, have any of you ever thought, like, we need a rule, like, God should have because there's constant decisions, and I'm like, what do I do now? Yeah. Like, they just said that. Should I be crying or should I be rejoicing? I don't, I don't know. Like, the truth is that the Bible is written to us to manage our heart so that we would step into all that God, come on, has for us. And Paul thought that the coming of Christ was a big deal. Let me give you a little background on this. 1 Thessalonians was written in 51 AD. And this was one of Paul's first letters. This is actually one of the first letters in the New Testament. Paul's first letter was written to the Galatians. And this is his actual second letter. And the reason we're going to do a little backstory is because I want to give this chapter and this book context. Just so that you know, Paul did not write letters with chapters and verses he just wrote a letter and we were like wow cool we want to find our favorite part of the letter so we put a chapter on it and we put a verse on it Paul just wrote Paul is just finished his first missionary journey he and Barnabas are boys and they went on a missionary journey and they saw great moves they actually saw the Holy Spirit move on Gentiles and this was a big deal so there was this council of Jerusalem right and it was basically this to all the top dudes in the church and and they came and Paul and Barnabas are like giving testimony to what they saw and 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 the whole meeting the council of Jerusalem this conference was to open up the idea can Gentiles which is non-Jews, can they come into the church without embracing Judaism? That was the message. Well, here's the deal. Because of what they presented, they won. 
They won this concept. They won the, and so the whole church changes. And this is how, you know, you and I, you know, listen, the, the fact that we've been evangelized and missionaries came and we're able to is because of this moment where they spread to not just the Jewish household but to us. This is why we care about Jerusalem. This is why we care about Jewish people. This is why we care about Israel. Because there is a heavenly spiritual tie tether between our faith and their root. Okay. So, after this meeting, Barnabas and Paul leave, chest bump. Man, that's awesome. Gentiles can come into the church. We can preach to them. It's going to be awesome. And so they talk about going on their second missionary journey. Well, here's the deal. If you look back in Acts chapter 15, verse 39. We're not going to turn there. I just want to give you that because it sets up what we're talking about. Acts 15, 39. If you read in there, it says that Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement. I don't know about you, but I find it a little comforting. That even the Apostle Paul found himself in some sharp disagreements. Come on, I don't know about you, but it, it, it's, it, it's amazing when I look back. I kind of read that verse every time, from time to time, just like, oh, I don't believe that Paul was a bad leader. I believe that those disagreements happened because he was a bold leader. And if you have some boldness in you, there are going to be moments. Of sharp disagreement. So here's what happened. On the first missionary journey, Barnabas, Paul, and John Mark were all going together. Well, halfway through the journey, John Mark bells. He's like, I'm out. Peace, deuce. You know what I'm saying? I don't, we, we, don't, we don't know why. Well, all we know is that he left. He, he went back. He was like, I'm out. And so Paul is absolutely like, I'm not, he, I'm not bringing him next time. This guy doesn't finish. And so Barnabas is like, he's my cousin. That's my cuddy. Listen, I'm going to tell you, we're going to bring John Mark. Paul's like, I'm not bringing John Mark. Barnabas is like, John Mark's going. And Paul's like, what? And so they divide. Barnabas and John Mark go somewhere else. And Paul, um, Timothy, and, uh, uh, I forgot I just, you ever, you ever go blank? Silas uh, went, listen, to, on the second missionary journey and ended up in Thessalonica. They would have never ended up, listen, in Thessalonica without this sharp moment. Here's what I want you to know. I had a man I was eating with. This last week. And he's like, what, what do you think God thinks about all the churches on all the blocks of all the cities? He's like, do you think that God likes that? And I was like, well, here's what I think. I think what the enemy does to divide us, God often turns division into multiplication. Because the gates of hell will not win against the church. And the truth of the matter is, I don't know if people want to go to a 150,000 member church. And so the truth is, I believe that Barnabas and, and, and John Mark went here. And that opened up Paul, you know what I'm saying? And his team Paul to go over here. And because of a moment of division, there was actually, listen, multiplication. 
And so that is what we pray. No, we never want division. But the truth of the matter is, I love it. Even at the end of Paul's life, when he's about to die, he's about 68 years old, he calls, he has Timothy say, go get John Mark because I have need of him. What I'm telling you is we are in this for a long haul. And I just want you to know the kingdom of God is advancing. And I believe that there are moments that happen that, that God will use. But I believe that God wants to bring everything back in fullness when there are humble hearts. Does that make sense? Okay. Acts chapter 17, verse 1 through 4. So you've kind of gotten the timeline. Here is how the church in Thessalonica is launched. Now, when they had passed through uh, Amphibolus <laughs> and uh, Apollonia, what? Apollonia. They, they came to Thessalonica and listen, they were in the synagogue where the Jews were. And Paul went in as it was custom on three Sabbath days and reasoned with them from scripture explaining and proving what was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, saying, Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is in fact the Christ. Now, I know that sounded like a lot of wah, 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 but let me break that down to you, okay? Basically, what happens is Paul comes in, and for three Sabbaths, so three weeks, Paul's preaching. Going to the Sabbath, uh, going to the, to the synagogue, and this dude's shucking the corn. He's preaching it up. In the, in the week, he's working. He's living in as, a, as an example around them, and he's talking. He's preaching. He's preaching. Well, here's what happens is there it gets crazy. There is conflict. People start a mob forms, and they want to destroy Paul. They, they come, and they want to kill him. Well, why do they want to kill him? Why do they want to stop the movement of God? Well, two reasons. The first is Paul was turning the attention toward Christ and away from the law. So that was a major shift, come on, in theology. Because in their mind, Moses, law, we fulfill the law. This is what God said. And Paul is like, no, no, no. Jesus died. He fulfilled the law. And now we look to Christ. And people are like, say what? Them fighting words. The second reason they want to fight is because Paul ties together Jesus, Messiah, and king of the Jews. And so that is a very contentious statement. That's almost as contentious as you posting on social media. Men are men and women are... Stop. But, but it's almost as contentious as, as that. My point is that the people in the city wanted to destroy that movement... Because they were afraid of Rome and the king. And now you're not only saying that the law has been fulfilled. But now you're saying we're under a new king. And the mob came up and Paul had to leave quickly and go to Berea because they were going to destroy him. Here's what I'm telling you. Why am I talking to you about this? Is I can't even imagine... Launching a church 
and three weeks leaving. Just so that you know, we've been five years and it's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of work in me. It's been a lot of work to do, produce this. Paul, three weeks and leaves. And so he actually leaves. And then a couple months later, he's writing everyone a letter. Like, I can't imagine. Launch day, three weeks, preach a lot. Deuce. <laughs> for, for Paul, it's crazy how the people received this. Chapter, I mean, verse 4 in Acts, what we, I mean, chapter 17, uh, verse 4, 5, and 6 begin to tell us that some people accepted it and some people rejected it. This is important because here is what I, I, I think we can see from this is there are always going to be some people who are receptive to the gospel. But there's also going to be people who reject it. There are going to be people. And so I just really believe that church, one, the gospel is heard. You only have two options. You either accept it or you reject it. But we feel like there is like a third category where it's um, not yet. Like there's accepting, there's rejecting, and there's not yetting. And so I'm just kind of hovering around this idea of church because I'm not ready yet. But God says that I would rather you be hot and cold. It's a yes or no. There is no maybe. Come on, listen to what I'm saying. Your yes is yes and your no is no. And, and you're, here's the, even the deeper thought. Is the message of Jesus will either persuade you or it will aggravate you. Because to say that you need Christ means to identify the fact that you're a sinner. And once you identify the fact that you're a sinner, you now need help trying to fix what's broken. And if you identify the fact that you have to fix what's broken, that means you need a helper, which is the Holy Spirit, to actively work on you. And then we move from working on everybody else to working on us. And it's a whole lot easier. Listen, we love, especially Americans, we love... Fixing everybody else's problems. Come on. How many of y'all have thought, man, just get me the president, the Congress, and the Senate. Have them come over to my house. We can fix all these problems real quick. <laughs> of course you've thought that. But here's the deal. We are great at assessing other things that are broken, but it's amazing how quickly we want to fix Congress. But are you fixing your family? Are you fixing your response to your wife? Are you fixing your attitude with your kids? See, it's a whole lot easier to go, here's what I have assessed in the, my, well, I'm just really glad that I came and started working for this company because here is what I see the problem is. <laughs> okay. I didn't know when I married into this family that I was going to be the fixer of their side. Come on. If we're not careful, we will digest this perspective that we are everybody else's assessors. And the gospel assesses you. It assesses you. So let's jump in. That was all a setup. Do you feel like you learned something? All right, cool. All right. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And my assignment today is the amazing church. Because I believe the Apostle Paul lays out what an amazing church is. Let's read this. Paul, uh, Silas, Timothy, to the church of Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace to you. Now if you go read all of his other Pauline letters you will see that he writes like long, like, I love you, I love you, I love you, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. He gets right into it. And I have to believe that it's because he knows uh, we were only together three weeks. And I feel a little intensity, so I'm going to jump right into this bad boy. We give thanks to God always for you, continually mentioning you in our prayers. Can I just pause for a second? Every leader that leads people, if you're leading more than you're praying, We got to be a praying people. You, there's got to be a burden for the people that you're leading. There's got to be a prayer. Does that make sense? Because the truth of that matter is, we love systems and we love structures. And if you're here long enough, you're going to see that we have ours. But 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 can I tell you that prayer does what nothing else can do. Mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father. This is fun. This is this is everything Paul wrote is theology. So God. Number one, father, family, adopted. Paul, everything Paul writes is theology. Okay? And he mentions this. For your work of faith, labor of love, steadfast hope. We're going to talk about those three. For your work of faith, labor of love, steadfast hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know brothers, family, it has a little hyphen, it has a little B or A or whatever. Brothers and sisters. So family, loved by God, that have been chosen because the gospel came to you not only in word, power, and of the Holy Spirit, but with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you. We, you became imitators, come on, of us and of the Lord in the midst of much affliction. That's what he's talking about. So that's why I wanted to give you the history. It's because you knew it wasn't like an awesome Billy Graham revival. It was like, turn to Jesus. What? We're going to kill you because you're talking about the law. What about Moses? Go Rome. Hell Caesar. Well, I mean, like, it's, it, it's very dramatic. And that's what Paul's writing. Okay. With the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone out everywhere. Listen, I just believe that uh, the amazing church begins to walk through transformation and begins to live different and other people in other cities on other continents in other nations begin to hear about what God is doing there was no social media can you even imagine how long it would take to get a message from A to B but if Paul says we're hearing about what happened it's not because we checked Facebook. It's because the movement happened and it affected lives. And lives affected lives. And when people came into contact, it was this overflow experience. Come on. But your faith has gone everywhere. Nine. 
For they themselves report concerning the kind of reception we had among you. In other words, I preached the word. You guys took it. That was awesome. And how you turned, this is key, from God to idols. And you served the true and living God. And then we already read the last verse where he talks about how, come on, like we're waiting for Jesus. So I want to break this down. Paul's message to us is just as vital as when he wrote it. The encouragement and the concepts in this letter are amazing and, and, and they will transform your life. And in all of Paul's letters, he writes about these three virtues over, over, and over again. They are faith, hope, and come on, guess what? love. He writes these a lot. And I just think for the, the church to thrive and to be an amazing church, it takes all three of these virtues. So let's talk about these real quick. Faith. The amazing church responds, listen, with active faith. Okay. Not private faith. Active faith. That means we see your faith by the works that you produce. Come on. Come on now. Far too long our culture has held the belief that it is okay to have private, secret faith. We've heard politicians and businesses and philanthropers and people who, who, who are, have a big public persona. And they have said, well, my faith is private and personal. But Paul is saying that is a conundrum. Those are two opposite thoughts. And if we're going to be the amazing church, then we're going to have to show our faith publicly with works. Come on, does that make sense? Paul was amazed that over only three weeks, how they had remained so strong in the midst of drama and contention. The church, can I tell you, there is no secret faith. The house will be a strong church because we have an active faith. We are both a believing and a doing family. We have the faith that he is the good father. We have the faith that Jesus is, come on, the son of God. We have the faith that God's plan is sovereign. We have the faith that the Bible is God's inspired word. We have the faith that Jesus is coming again and it is our job to stay ready. That faith, listen, brings about change. That is the faith that brings about change. The second thing he talks about is love. Love. Like love affects us. And come on, in our culture, we love love. We love singing about love. We love talking about love. We love saying XO, 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 love. <laughs> Real story. I was dating my wife. And uh, we, she wrote me a card. And she was like, XO, XO, XO. And I literally thought we were playing tic-tac-toe. <laughs> so I wrote her a card back, and I was like, <laughs> your turn. And she's like, what is this? And I was like, what is this? And she's like, you never had one of those? And I was like, I haven't had a lot of girlfriends, okay? <laughs> we never got past the XO stage. I was like, you know, thank you. It's personal. It's deep. 
So for all of you young lovers, she'll get an XO. Could be good one day. All right. <laughs> I just kind of made that up. That was not even part of what I'm talking about. Um, listen, we, 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 uh, that story was real, though. You can ask her. Um, we, we are driven by love. We are governed, listen, governed by love. We are governed by it. We are not governed, hey, listen, listen. We are not governed by right. We are not governed by rights. We are not governed by hate. We are not governed by conflict. We are not governed by revenge. We are not governed by canceling. We are governed by love. Now, let me have, let me, pure context, love has boundaries. And I'm okay with love, and ha love having boundaries. Healthy love does have boundaries. God so loved that he gave boundaries. Come on, does that make sense? And so that, that, that's okay. As long as we understand that love is a major portion because the Father first loved us. He gave Jesus for us. And that overflowing love causes us, what did Paul say? To labor. We labor in love. We labor in love. Oh, I'm just working for the church. No, no, no. I'm laboring in love because of the love that I have for a fellow man. It causes us to do outreach, plant churches, send missionaries. It causes us to work the kids' area so that a parent can come in and meet Jesus and know that their kids are in a safe environment. Like all of that happens and it's all love. So when you go by and see Sarah or who, who's doing it? In the children's area Who, who's doing it? <laughs> I, I, somebody somebody whoever's doing in the children's area right now you go by even if you don't have kids and say thank you for loving our kids not this long line too long oh my god it's like, you know they function better come on like someone is saying yes and that's important we don't serve the church because we want a place to belong. We serve the church because we are God's sons and daughters serving God's sons and daughters. This is why we do everything that we do. Because listen, there is a burden on our heart for lost people, for people that need to be discipled, for people that are broken, that need the Holy Spirit to speak life into their life. And someone's got to say yes for that to happen. Come on. We're governed by love. Love. This is why we want to build more churches. This is why, come on, listen, we, we, we want to pay the price. Love sacrifices so other people can move forward. Love, listen, this is hard. Love eats last. Come on, mamas. You like, fix this meal? And you're the last one to sit down and you're like... I hope y'all enjoyed it because it was hot for y'all. <laughs> Come on. That's what love does. And I pray, one of our biggest prayers is that, is that people would know us by our love. Our love. Hope. Paul talks about hope. He uses this word steadfast hope. The word 
steadfast means unwavering. The amazing church is full of hope and not fear. I want to encourage you to go and read these verses over the next couple of weeks and get them in your heart. But can I tell you, steadfast hope isn't blind to adversity. Steadfast hope isn't acting like everything's peachy and okay and I'm a Christian, la-di-da, la-di-da. I mean, we're not Disney Channel characters. We live in the real world, but our hope doesn't come from practical means or personal involvement. Come on. Our hope doesn't come in a president. Our hope doesn't come in a stimulus check. Our hope doesn't come because people adopt the cause that's important to us. Our hope doesn't come if we remove all masks or we enforce them. Our hope comes in a coming king. Our hope is in Jesus. Come on. And when it looks rough, the church has to have unwavering hope. Unwavering hope. We can't be the people. I'm not sure what's going to happen. What do you mean what's going to happen? You can get up the next day and you're going to live missional because the clock's ticking and we're only here for a certain time and we're going to be about the Father's business and that's what Jesus said. I'm, that's what I'm going to do. That's it. Every single day when it looks rough, unwavering, when you've lost friendships, Unwavering. When you see darkness, unwavering. The amazing church responds in hope. Listen to what I'm saying. The amazing church responds in hope. When these three virtues are moving in the church, God moves in the city. And that is our hope that, that, that these three virtues happen so Paul describes and he says yo I see these three virtues and it's awesome these were the three virtues that me Silas and Timothy brought and because we brought them the gospel was able to advance and here is what Paul tells us four major ways real quick that the gospel gets planted how do we really make it? Have you ever thought, like, how do we really make a difference in the darkness? How do we really make a difference in this culture? Like, how do we really make a difference going forward? Here's the four that Paul used, and I believe that they will work everywhere. The first, he says, in word. In word, we must have Holy Spirit confidence to speak up, to share, to communicate. Listen. You may be an extrovert. You may be an introvert. That is how God created you. But there is no place that we don't find a place to share what God has done in our life. Some people may be 10 on one. Some people may be 50 on one. Some, may people, some people may speak to hundreds. But some, you're... Your, your role may to do, be to do coffee with two or three people and break down scripture for them and show them. Come on, does that make sense? But there's no place for the church to be quiet. We present the gospel, the clock, come on, 
is ticking. For us, it takes commitment. we got to be able to learn. Listen, I want God to move in your life when you're here. But then I want that movement, that anointing, that thing that God did in your life to cause you to go back and buy a book, listen to a podcast, take some notes. Like I want you to begin, come on, listen, to grow in your faith because you need to know it so you can sow it. Listen, come on, listen to what I'm saying. Like, like we, got, we, we, don't, we don't want an ignorant church. We don't want an arrogant church. But we do want a church that believes that God has something in me, come on, to give. Most people, statistically, most people come to Christ because of a personal relationship. A per, like up to like 72%. 72% of people will be at coffee, at a home, open up a Bible. And it will be personal. Can I tell you the structure of the church where we're just open and do altar calls every Sunday is a losing battle. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying that's not the way we grow because the percentages are in activating you to have those one-on-one moments. That's why we have life groups. That's why we leverage. We want God to heal our past and transform our life. Come on, does that make sense? Because your story matters. And what the enemy tried to destroy you with, God will unleash and connect with people. And listen, some will reject it, but others will accept it. Others will accept it. That's why we do all of our Easter outreaches. And even this Easter we have a, a, a plan on Saturday, the Saturday before Easter. We are inviting you. We having a family barbecue. We're going to cook out. It's going to be good. And so here's the thing. Come on, listen. Listen, uh, again, I just got to do a little bit better on the clapping. Uh, I, just, I just told you we were going to feed you. You know what I'm saying? Come on, somebody. Woo! Yeah. Now, listen. And so here's what we're going to do. Uh, well, what about COVID? We, we figured that out. Uh, listen, we're going to put tables out, outside. We're going to have three different tents. We're going to zone everybody up. But we are going to uh, make it small enough where you can invite people that you know to come sit with you and eat with you. Then we're going to use this backfield and we're going to do uh, some, some much smaller egg hunts. And we're going to do this uh, three different times. And so our goal is to have like 120 people three different times. We're going to clean it all up. We're going to mask. We're gonna, just like you come to a restaurant. But we, the church is not scared of where we're at in this season. We will be smart. We will be smart. Uh, uh, I'm not going to be dumb. But, but, but I do think that there is a way for us to do ministry. And we are asking for you to help us. Give the personal invitation. The second thing that Paul talks about is the power. The power. Life-changing power is in the message of the cross. Paul tells us that it takes power to see conversion. Like Paul shows up and he's at the synagogue and he's preaching and he recognizes that something else was happening other than intellect. 
There was a power here. Something started here. And I want you to know that when you walk in, there is something. God is doing something. He's drawing people. There's a power here. And we believe that that power starts with prayer. Every Tuesday night, we're here praying at 630. And we believe that what happens on Sunday is a reflection and starts on Tuesday night. And you were invited to come pray with us. It is power that overcomes the lie. It is power that we need to overcome adversity. We all, come on, the church needs power to overcome. Power to keep going. And power, listen, to persevere. The next, he says, the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the amazing church. The Holy Spirit. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to fill his absence. When Jesus went to the Father, he left the Holy Spirit. Upon his death, beating hell, beating the grave, and rising again, Jesus goes to be with his Father and leaves the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want you to know. Paul knew that the ministry that was flowing was the work of the Holy Spirit. We try to do as good as we can to have a functional, well-run, organized, non-confusing church. We don't ever want to be the church that's the insider club, that feels like it's the jump rope, and a lot of people are having fun in it, and other people are watching going, how do I get in? Like we never wanted to be that. But, but here's what I will tell you is all that we do that's intentional, it is the Holy Spirit that breaks the yokes on our life. When the gospel advances, it means the Holy Spirit is present. Every service that you come to, the Holy Spirit is moving. The Holy Spirit is moving and breaking down walls in worship. That is why we have kids. That's why we want to make sure that this environment is distraction-free as much as we can. That's why we ask people to wait, go into the bathroom and do them. Because we believe that in two or three of the worship songs, you know, nobody goes to the Holy of Holy on the first song. I'm still trying to find my, like, well, I'm just still trying to find my stuff. But we believe that you go into the holy of holies one step at a time. And we're praying that you're able to connect with the Lord. The next thing is the Holy Spirit. We believe that he's leading you in this message. And he's doing two things in your life. He is healing and freeing you. But he's also leading you toward purpose. Here's the third thing that we feel like the Holy Spirit's doing. That you may not know. The lobby, the connection, the intentional looking at... We know that people need to be noticed. People need to be seen. And the reason that God says brothers and sisters and, and the, Paul writes brothers and sisters and family and family and family is because some of us have decided, well, I, it's just going to be me and Jesus and I'll just worship and I'll learn and I'll worship and I'll learn and I'll worship and I'll learn. But really, the next breakthrough in your life is to be known by somebody, to, to get over all the criticisms, to allow your relational depth to grow and the Holy Spirit is moving to allow that come on to happen the last is this Paul tells us with conviction 
when the gospel is preached, there will be conviction. We never want to be a body that people fall under shame for their past. We know that there are a lot of decisions and a lot of things, and we don't know your story. We absolutely do not know that. And so we're not going to sit and impose our position on your story because we don't know. But here's what I will tell you is we believe that through the words, the worship, the connection, that the conviction of the Holy Spirit should be piercing your heart. And, and, and here's what we know. Many times when God tells you here, it's because he's also already whispered in your ear like on Tuesday or Wednesday. I can't tell you how many people have stopped me at a church and go, did my wife call you? Did my husband call you? You got a mic up at my house? You know what that's called? That's called conviction. And God leverages conviction to help you keep growing. Now you have the option to turn that off, to harden your heart, and just to sit through a service. But God never built a church so that people would sit. He built a church so that people would serve and get out and be better outside the walls than in. Come on, does this make sense? We're not talking about condemnation. We've had people in our church that have had an abortion. We've had people in our church uh, over, overcome hom uh, uh, homosexual lifestyles. We've had people in our church uh, just be, be in jail. We've had people in our church murder people. We've had people in our church. But here is what I am telling you. We're never a place of condemnation. You're never going to see a long finger But you are going to feel the, the presence of God tapping you and going. You need to call your daughter. It's been five years. It's no longer okay to ignore that. That addiction is breaking your family. And that right there is something that we're building this whole moment. And it can happen in worship. It can happen when you drop your kids off and someone says something to you. We missed you. And you're like, dang it. Why does my offense always drive me out of relationships? I'm so convicted. Like it can, and here's the deal. I'll talk for 38 minutes. And you only may get that tap in two minutes. Like it's a, it's a two minutes thing that I said. And probably it wasn't even in my notes. And it was something random. But it's the thing that kind of is like oh my God. And God is speaking to you. And I am who I am. Because I've had so many two minute moments. That changed my life. The amazing church. Is people. Who have been convicted. And turn away from idols. Man, y'all go ahead and come up. Paul communicates that how do we know there's really a move of God? Because people are turning away. People are turning away from idols. 
People are turning away from things that they put their hope in or trust in or, or the, the object of their desire or the, what has their attention. Come on, somebody. And can I tell you that for us, those idols are money, fame, social media, and what an idol is a distraction. Come on, that home, that perfect family, the respect of five or six other people. There's a lot of reasons people are in church. And God, God's goal wasn't to make you better. It was to be your Savior. And in that, you would feel the conviction and turn away from things that have never worked. And you would be healthier. And people would call that better. That's the plan. What are the idols that have crept up in your life? When's the last time you were able to honestly just go, you know what, I'm sorry? Conviction. In the first chapter of Thessalonians, Paul tells us that we have to have faith, hope, and love. But he also tells us that there's a mission field out there and the gospel is needed and we're the ones to do it. So will you allow Paul's letter to be written to you? What is your response to the gospel? And what is the conviction moment right now? What's the conviction moment that, that, that God wants to say, I'm doing this because I want you to turn. I'm doing this because I want you to turn. I'm doing this because I have great plans for you. Will you turn? Will you give up that offense? Will you give up that rejection? Will you give up that insecurity? Will you give up that, that list of lies? Will you give that stuff up? Come on, does that make sense? And, 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 and 1 Thessalonians, it, it, Paul sets up this idea that we are waiting on an amazing day and you guys are becoming an amazing church. And that's what we want to Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.